Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Uh, so I'll read it out. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came out, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had the need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Thank you. And may I request Pastor to please conclude with the prayer and benediction. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's so different to see you all from the pulpit. Usually I sit behind, see your hairs, maybe hair clips, sometimes flowers. It all looks so good from here. I don't have PowerPoint, so you'll have to keep looking at me and looking at each other. Uh, Elvin, thank you for introducing me. I think in a church, we should just introduce our name because in a church, I think there's only one reverend and the rest of are all similar. And, uh, but uh, thank for that. When I was reading this passage, which we'll be meditating today, I don't find anything to really see into it so perfectly describe a church, a fellowship that has been developed after, you know, Lord Jesus Christ rose and went to heaven. So some people call it a perfect church. Some people call it a very ideal church. If you look at the commentary and study. So I didn't want to copy them. I changed it a little and made it a model church. That's what we're going to look into it. And we have seen how Reverend took us through in the first week and also Dr. Patro in the second week about the Holy Spirit. And when you look at this church, it's so good. It's such a beautiful setting. People coming and taking part, apostle teachings, sharing each other, enjoying each other's fellowship, selling even what they have and bringing together to share each other's. By the way, anybody, do anyone know any church like this in Delhi? I'd like to be a member of that church. I'm serious. Reverend, I'm sorry, I might have to leave your church. We were in Purulia almost 15 to 16 years in a place called Purulia, which is in West Bengal. And we are a very small group there. And we had few South Indian staffs who didn't understand the local language, that is Bengali. They couldn't attend those churches. So we started our own fellowship group. And we didn't have a pastor. I was just doing, playing the role of the pastor there. And we are maximum 10. So any number more than 10 is a big crowd for me. And today for me, you are a multitude of people what we see in the scripture. And if only five people attend, we tell people that today we have 50% attendance to make it sound a little good. And we also didn't have somebody to come and give us Holy Communion. 
So every two, three months, we just invite one pastor to come and share the Holy Communion with us. Was that a church? Yes. Wasn't it a perfect church or a model church or an ideal church? No. We lack many things. But can it turn to be a perfect church? Why not? So when you see, a, when you see this passage and see a church or a fellowship so beautifully described, people coming together, sharing everything, and you see the reality of a church that we see around us, it can be very discouraging. That's why when we look at all these models that we see anything around us and we see the reality of it, sometimes that can make, that gives us lots of discouragement. Can be for us too in our church here. But when Luke wrote this, actually, he did not write so that we feel discouraged seeing the church that we are and seeing the passage here. But he wrote us to let us know when we yield ourselves to the spirit of God and to the gospel, what a church can turn out to be. That's what he's trying to teach us. And in fact, some people don't believe that there was ever a church like this. There is a book called The American Religion written by Harold Bloom. He wrote, there was never a church like this, which is described in this book. And he's right one way. And he also may be wrong. It depends on the perspective from where you look at it. So we know that the Lord was crucified. He appeared to his disciples. He promised them the Holy Spirit. He descended to heaven. And then during the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. We heard about the Holy Spirit in the temple, isn't it? He said, I'll destroy this and build in three days. And he was comparing to his body. That's what it says in the Bible. Mr. L.T. Chandran, in a book called Beyond Opinion, he wrote two chapters in that book. He wrote, religious showmanship today is often taken to be a sign of true spirituality. Sometimes we become bigger than the church. Sometimes the activities of our church become bigger than the spirituality that we should have in our lives and in our church. What I shared with you was everything visible. The church I said in my village was everything visible. Maybe we were not like that. But what about the invisible things that happens within us, among us? People we refuse to talk to. People we refuse to pray for, maybe. People whom sometimes we ignore, which all drains down to messing around the body of Christ. The things that are visible are all visible, isn't it? But things which are not visible, those are more dangerous, actually. C.S. Lewis wrote, the perfect church service would be one we are almost unaware. Our attention would have been on God. What he's saying that when we come to a church, all our thoughts would be so much on God that we forget the rest that happens around us. But the reverse sometimes happens. We think so much, we concentrate so much, we focus so much on other things, that ultimately we forget God. That's what he's trying to tell us. Look into your own church. We consist of the church. You, me, God. Where are we? Are we building a community of fellowship here? Or are we just coming and going? I'm not just judging anybody. I'm just raising questions. Because in this passage, if you read, I can only think of some things where we can together develop our fellowship.
And we see that they came together. They shared in the Lord's Supper, in the fellowship meals. They sold things and brought them to the feet of the disciples, sharing everything. What a fellowship. What a community of Christians. You know, last Sunday we had a picnic. Some of you might have forgotten that day. For us, it was one of the most memorable picnic because my wife broke her bones. So we'll always remember that picnic. And two of our families in this group, they brought food for us. I'm not taking their names because I didn't take their consent to talk about them publicly. They brought food for us. It's not that we couldn't cook or we didn't have food, just because they love us. They exhibited what we see in this passage. They brought food for us. I was happy. Not only my wife had to rest, I would also get rest. Few days at least. And that's happening in many churches and many of you are doing, I suppose. But just because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we know the word of God, all these things doesn't take place in itself. Each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, have to take a daily commitment and make choices in our life if we want to be what the passage describes here. If we want to be a helping community, a loving community, a caring community, we have to take a decision and commitment in our lives. Just because the Spirit of God is there, the Word of God is here, it doesn't happen spontaneously. Every day is a choice that we and I need to make if we want to make a difference to our church and to our fellowship. These people did that together, isn't it? They came together, they shared together. But you go to chapter 5, you'll see one couple, Ananias and Sapphira. I'll call them as Mr. and Mrs. Ananias. They were part of that congregation. They partook in the fellowship, in the lunch, in the meals, in the Holy Communion. But what did they do? I think they came back one Sunday. Let's presume it was a Sunday. And they must have seen people bringing something or bringing the money out of the, what they showed from their property. And I'm sure they sat down and said, let's also sell half of our property. It's a good thing, good decision. By seeing others, maybe they also thought that we should be, since we are a part of this congregation, let's also do it. And what mistake they made was, but they said, we'll give only 50%. People brought the money, whatever they sold, and they were also planning to sell, but they said, we'll only give 50% of what we get out of it. And if you look the verse here, I love this verse. It says, with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. That means both the wife and, wife, both the wife and husband, they had a discussion. And I'm sure the discussion goes like this, something like that. That see, people have brought this much money, maybe 5,000 or 10,000 dinaries. That's the currency they use those days. And they must have thought, if we give a little more than that, though it is 50%, it is still good enough. Nobody will come to know. I'm presuming it. I may be mistaken. Because once you justify anything intellectually, you will turn every wrong into right. Once you justify anything intellectually, you'll turn every wrong into right. And anything you do after that will always be in a mess. Be it your workplace, be it your marriage, be it your church or community. 
Please remember that. We sit down and try to justify many things. We think people will not know. It's fair enough. But is it fair enough for God? And when they brought that money, they both died, isn't it? Because they brought only 50% and they hit the other 50%. You think these people didn't know the Lord? They were part of that congregation. They went and partook the meals. They went and partook the Holy Communion. But they came and made this choice. That's what I said. The commitment and choice has to come from each one of us. Don't take it for granted. Just because you know the word of God, you come to church, that will always do the right things. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. We see the same thing in the life of Solomon, isn't it? God told him only three things. Not to worship any other God. Isn't it? To follow his commandments and not to marry any foreign wives. For a few years, he was right. People came from far away, hearing about his fame, about his riches. What happened later? In the modern term, what he did was, he started visiting all the matrimonial sites. Yeah, that's what he did. 700 wives and 300 concubines. You look into his marital profile, it will always say single. It's not a joke. Do you think this moral misuse and addiction of social media started in the 21st century? No, it started long before. Because all this starts in the mind. What you see on the screen of your smartphone and laptop is only a byproduct of what you have already conceived in your mind. So don't think all this started in the 21st century. It has taken long before. Solomon did it. You think God, Solomon didn't know God? He heard the voice of God. He talked to face to face. He had encountered with God. God promised him. But he made a wrong choice. That's why I like this Joshua. When he was talking to the people of Israelites and the leaders, he said, and he told them about what God has done to them. He brought them, told them about the miracles that God has done for them, how he has brought them. He said to them, choose you this day, whom will you serve? Because he knew these people very well. These Israelites were like me, actually, or like some of us. There were people who will say yes inside the church and no outside the church. There were people who will say yes when the prophet speaks to them. But after a few months and few days, again, they abandon God. They run away from God. So Joshua knew that only telling them about God and what he has done is not enough. He said, today you have to make a decision in your life. Either you like to serve God or not serve God. And what did those people say? Okay, we'll serve the God as usual. And sometimes we just read about this verse and we jump away. But you go to verse, chapter 24, verse 22, Joshua says, you are a witness unto your own self. What you are saying today, you are your witness. Because all the evil decisions take place in our secret places, not in public. And only you and I know it. When I stand here speaking to you, temporarily, I may seem to be a holier than you people. 
Not necessary. You don't know everything about me. The sins that I commit, my weaknesses, none of you know. Only me and God knows. That's why Joshua told, you are witnesses unto yourself. What you are saying today, whether you are living tomorrow, you have to see it yourself. Nobody will see it, maybe. It's the same for each one of us. What the lives do you live? You are a witness unto yourselves. Maybe I don't know. You don't know about me. But I know about me and you know about yourselves. What you do in the secret darkness. And that's what Joshua is telling them. You have to be a witness. Be a witness. God in his sovereign love gives us a freedom to choose. In absolute love, there is always freedom to choose. Are you using that freedom for his glory? Are you using that freedom for his glory? Are we making the right choices in our lives? Because the commitment each one of us have and the choices that we make in our lives can build up the fellowship, can build up the church, can build up the first. Personally, I have failed so many times, actually, when I look at it. I knew things that I could have done and I have not done. I knew people whom, to whom I could have just spoken nicely. I have not done it. I have not done it. And I can't blame God for that. I can't blame God. I have to take the blame myself. To take blame myself. And who are these people that we see in these fellowship groups? When you go ahead, when you go before that, Paul was speaking to these people. Peter, I mean, sorry. He said, you handed over Jesus Christ to be crucified. People who are in the fellowship today, they are the same people one day who are demanding Jesus crucified, to be crucified. They were people who handed over Jesus to be crucified. Till our churches are perfect, we will have people who are not perfect. We will have people who are yet to know the Lord. We'll have people who are still to mature in the Lord. We'll have people who still don't know the scripture very well. We'll have people maybe who comes from a different background, whose families still doesn't know the Lord. We may even have people whose spouse doesn't still know the Lord. There will be people who don't know the word of God, who doesn't know the scripture, who cannot pray till our church is perfect. I've worked with students many years, for the last 25 years with medical students. We form Bible study group. There will be many students who would come to fellowship without even having a Bible in their hand. And you encourage them to bring a Bible. And after two weeks, they arrive with King James Version. Now they don't, <clears throat> now they get confused. I also get confused. But you know, some of them are now good leaders in their church. They are good leaders in their church. Some of them are leading Bible study group. I remember going to home fellowship. They asked me to talk, to speak. I said, let's open Philippians chapter 2. And the head of that family, he was searching for Philippians chapter 2 in the book of Genesis. It sounds funny, actually. I'm not cracking a joke. But one day, I was like that. There was a time when I was like that. I was leading a big gathering in Bubanes, in the city of Bubaneswar. 
I forgot the preacher to ask what was the passage. And when I was going to read the book, he told me Habakkuk, and I couldn't find Habakkuk in my Bible. I was struggling. Look back into your own lives. We have all gone through the process. So we'll have such people in our congregation. And it's our duty to love them and to care for them and to bring them up in the Lord. It's very easy to condemn them sometimes, saying that that side of the people and this side of us. We need to see. And sometimes it's very easy to judge others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19-14, Paul says very beautifully, it's a familiar passage. He said, to the slaves, I became like a slave. To the weak, I became like the weak. To those under the law, I became like under the law. And to the Jews, I became like the Jews. Can we do that? To people who can't read the Bible, doesn't know the scripture, can we go that side and say, come on, I'll help you. Come on, I'll help you. What Paul is saying, I try to be on their side for some time till they become like me or like Jesus forever. For some time, I become like that, like them, so that forever they become like Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to be sensitive. That's what we have to do. Romans 15.1 says, no? we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. There should never be they and we in the church. It should always be us together, together. And we also have many people who have different opinions in the church, dissenting voices sometimes. Before the second missionary journey of Paul, he and Barnabas had differences, isn't it? So what? So what? In a book called Congregation and Community, a group of people studied 23 congregations. One group studied three congreg 23 congregations. What they found was conflict within the church was a healthy part of the church's ability to adapt and survive. What they found was conflict within the church was a healthy part of the church's ability to adapt and survive. And they further wrote, what you need is persons who are willing to engage in debate and conflict. They said, if you want a healthy church, that's what you need. People who are willing to debate, to discuss, to have conflicts within the church. But sometimes we don't want to do it. We don't want to allow it also. We think the conflict would break us. No. And they said the question is not whether if they fight, but how they fight as to whether they walk, whether they walk of the calling. So it's not about fighting. It's about knowing God's calling in our lives and being able to put our views, opinions, so that the church grows and the church becomes perfect. Will we allow that? Can we allow that? Very difficult sometimes. Are we willing to accept voices and opinions which may be diverse, which may be different? Ephesians 2.8 says, it is by grace we have been saved. What I am today, what you are today is by the grace of God. It's not that you are great people. It's not that I'm a great person. It's all by the grace of God. Can we pass on that grace to others who are struggling spiritually in their lives? 
can we pass on that grace to others and also be gracious to others? There are many grace killers, a term used by Charles Swindoll in his book, Grace Awakening. Buy that book and read that book. God is still working in this church. Maybe we are still not perfect. Will we allow the Spirit of God to work in us and also yield to the Word of God? Make the right choices in the light of the Spirit of God, in the Word of God. Be more gracious to each other, with each other, so that our church becomes a moral church, a perfect church. Maybe it is still not, but one day this church will be perfect when the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, comes to take his bride, which is the church, including this church. In 1981, a group of Argentinians who were in a city, they were looking for a church to worship. And they said, we want to worship in a perfect church or an ideal church. So they asked, what do you mean by this church? They opened this passage, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And they said, we are looking for a church like this. Let's hope and pray. Sometime maybe in future, when people come to this city and say, we want to worship in an ideal church or a perfect church, everybody will point and say, go to SDC and worship. Can we say amen? That should be our prayer. So let us call Christ our eyes in prayer. Just close our eyes for a minute and look into our own lives, our church, in the light of what God has spoken to us. And meanwhile, I request Pastor Michael to come up and pray for us and give the benediction. Shall we pray? Those words of the Lord spoken and addressed to the church, let us integrate in our life. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for making us the body of Christ Jesus, the church, the replica of what you want us to be, setting a model church in this city. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us through your holy word from the book of Acts chapter 2. Yes, Lord, you have taught us we will follow you and take that pattern in our life. And we, as South Delhi Congregation of Delhi Bible Fellowship, we take this commitment, Lord, this teaching of today will be our choice. And Lord, the grace will flow from our lives as we have received grace from you. We will adapt to the very model you have set before us. And Lord, we will flow the grace and to other members who will come 
and receive your grace also in this church. Thank and praise you for speaking to us through your holy word and through our dear brother, Pham. And thank you for his ministry of the word. Thank you, Lord, for the people of God who received it. Thank you, Lord, for the people who came into your house and they were all blessed by you. So, Lord, we commit this message and our church and, Lord, to look forward for the next time we gather, people will long to come into your house. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ and the love of the Father God and the sweet communion, fellowship of the Holy Ghost abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>